Good morning. I see David coming up, and I think he's going to bring me two batteries. David, am I right? You're not? Okay, well, I'm on two bars, so it's going to be a short sermon. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Hey, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. It's an institution. You can't have one without the other. Don't believe it. Don't believe some of y'all saying, yeah, listen, you know my marriage. Boy, there ain't no love in that sucker, I'll guarantee you. And then, if you can't be with the one you love, baby, love the one you're with. Bad advice. Bad advice. That will not work in marriage. It does not work in relationships. And then, love is a many splendid thing. Well, most of the time it is. But sometimes it's not. If your love is misdirected, you're married and your love is directed, it's not very splendid. And then, love. Love will keep us together. And that's mostly true, too. However, and by the way, that was Judy and I's song when we were married. And, you know, it's mostly true, but it's not always true. And the reason why it's always true is because, well, the couple who sang it were married 39 years. And then they divorced. 39 years. Captain and Tennille. And the amazing part was it wasn't like it was um, like infidelity. It was just incompatibility. They just, she said, you know, he's not meeting my needs. So, you know... And she was like, guess how old she was when that happened? 71 years old. Wow, it's just incredible. It really, really is. So today we obviously are talking about investing 101, and we want to talk about investing in our covenant or investing in our marriages. And this is, I just need to tell you up front, it's going to be just a little bit different than any message that I normally do. Normally I, I have a very concentrated piece of scripture that we go to. And really, this may not, I told Judy, this may be one of those messages you kind of go, at the end you go, huh? So it's either going to be a huh message or it's going to be an oh message. And I hope all this will be able to string together by the time we get to the end because I really want to approach it from a different way. I really want, and the word attack is not a good word, but I want to attack this topic from different angles. And I really want to talk about strictly about biblical marriage, what God says about marriage. Now, um, tonight... If you'd like to come back at 6 o'clock under the steeple, we're going to be talking uh, about roles in the marriage. We're going to Ephesians chapter 5. We haven't gone there in a couple of years and talk about the roles of husbands and wives um, in, in marriage. And so maybe you want to come back tonight for that. You know? But this morning, I want to talk about this biblical marriage. Now, again, this is going to seem fragmented, but hang with me because I really want to give some caveats out there. Now, in the room today and on the radio listening, there are really two kinds of people. And there are people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And the bottom line is, you know, you would say, you know, I've never made that commitment to Christ. I, you know, Jesus was maybe a, a man. Maybe he was a good man, a good teacher. But I've not made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And so you would say you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, now it's real cool. And here's the deal. You know, one, I need to let you know that you're not obligated to keep anything I'm going to talk about today. We're glad you're here, but you are not obligated to keep anything I'm going to say today. But I will tell you this. One thing you'll learn about the Bible, if you're not a Christ follower, is the Bible is an incredible book of great advice. 
Great advice. On the topics that it addresses, it is just a book of wisdom. So even if you're not a Christ follower today, then let me encourage you to listen carefully and glean some advice concerning marriage that might help you in your journey. And, of course, the other group of people are those who are Christ followers. Now, let me tell you, um, and those are people, by the way, who've made that commitment to Jesus Christ. And so, so let me tell you this. There's something that both groups share, okay? And that is this. A lot of what you're going to hear today does not make any sense. Now, if you're, if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, you're going, boy, that is the truth. You know, Dwayne, that is, that's what I, I really wrestle with the Bible because so much of it doesn't make sense. And if you are a Christ follower, you're going, yeah, you know what? I agree. You know, you know what Jesus actually said? He said, you know, if you're going to save your life, you've got to lose it. And yet, if you lose your life for my sake, you save it. And you go, huh? And then, and then if someone actually, like, like, walks up and slaps you, you know, dudes, we want to, like, duke them. Okay? No, no, no. Jesus says if somebody walks up and slaps your face, you're to turn the other cheek. So these are things that really don't make any sense. Okay? So here's the deal. If you're not a Christ follower, a lot of what you hear is not going to make any sense. And if you are a Christ follower, guess what? A lot of things you're going to hear today, practically speaking, humanly speaking, does not make sense. But the difference is, the difference is, we who are Christ followers, one, we're obligated to keep this stuff, and two, we believe it. We just believe it. Even when it doesn't make practical human sense, we choose to believe it. So, spiritually speaking, two groups of people. But guess what? Practically speaking, there are two groups of people. So, you're here today, and you're going to say, so how's this going to apply to me? Uh, you're talking on marriage. How, Dwayne, how are you going to make this apply to me? Well, there are two groups of people. There are single people, and there are married people. There are single people, and there are married people, okay? Now, perhaps you're here today, and you're single because you're six, okay? In other words, because of age, you know? Um, Judy was 18 when I married her, and if Faith talked about getting married right now, we'd both take her out and, and talk to her sternly, okay? Times have changed, it seems, I guess. But, but the bottom line is, age, a lot of us are not married today because of age. You're, you're just simply too young. You haven't made that decision yet. Some of you are, are single today because of death. That you were in a, a relationship that you loved, and, and boy, death came along and took your loved one. And I, I love, I tell you, I love talking sometimes to widowers and widows because you hear these words come out of their mouth, and I've heard more than once. I'll never have a better man. I was married to the best man or woman um, that ever could be. Marriage is just not a re-option, re- an option for me because I've had the best. Because I've had the best. So maybe you're here today and you're single because you're a widow or widower. And maybe you're here today because the marriage didn't work. That somewhere along the way, it just did not work, and you find yourself a single mom, single dad, or just a single person today. You were married, but that did not work. So, so regardless of where you are, if you're single today, if you're single today, if you're looking forward to marriage, this is really good. This is a good sermon for you guys to hear. It really is, okay? If, if you're a widower today, I want you to know some a widow or widower, you know, there's something you need to know, and that is this. You may never choose to remarry, but what a great mentor you are. So you may, if you're going to be teaching people and you know, having the opportunity to speak into people's lives about marriage, you, know, you really want to make sure you have a biblical, if you're a Christ follower, if you have a biblical 
worldview on that, okay? You'll be able to talk what the Bible says about marriage. And frankly, if you're here today and you've gone through a, a divorce and, and it's a very painful thing, you too can be a mentor. And you may one day get remarried. And these are good things to apply in your life then. But, but maybe you'll be able to be a mentor and say, well, this is what went wrong in my marriage. And I didn't follow this advice from God's word. I don't know. But the bottom line is that sermon is very appropriate too. Now, now, the other group of people, not only single people, but there are married people here today. And you're in various stages of life. I mean, my goodness, you know, marriage is all over the field. You know, been married a short time, been married a long time, happy marriage, not happy marriage, mediocre marriage, two people living together uh, in the sense of our lives are separate. We have, a, we have a marriage license, but our lives are separate. We just come and go like ships passing in the dark. Well, this is great advice also for you to hear today. So I really think this is something all of us can apply in our lives. It's a difficult thing. It's a, there are two topics that are just difficult. One is marriage and the other is money. They're just hard. But fortunately, the Bible really speaks clearly and loudly and on these topics, both these topics. Uh, it's been said the Bible talks more about money than does heaven or hell put together. And I think it's true also of marriage. You know, Jesus said a lot of things. Paul said a lot of things about marriage. And it's just hugely important. Now, uh, when we start, we should probably start with the umbrella. Okay? So... Let me get it all undone here. Here we go. Okay. Now, y'all know that umbrellas... Where's the button? No, it's not that button. There it is. No. Oh, I'm worried about luck. I'm worried about this umbrella getting open. There we go. All right. No. <laughs> no, no. You know, umbrellas are great things. Particularly, well, there's two times umbrellas are very great things. One is, it's when the sun is shining very brightly and you don't have a lot of hair, okay? And it protects particularly your forehead area, keeps you from getting skin cancer and things like that. The other time an umbrella is really good is when it's raining, you know? And what's really great is about an umbrella is that whatever's under the umbrella comes under its protection, okay? And so there are two verses today I want to share with you that you may not necessarily consider to be marriage verses, but they're under the umbrella. They're great verses under the umbrella of God's Word that really apply to marriage. Much more than that, because the umbrella is large, but also about marriage. And the first one is over in the book of Matthew, and chapter 22, verse 37. This is the large umbrella. It's huge. We talk about a lot here at, at Dorsville Baptist Church. Here's what it says. Um, Jesus has been approached by someone and said, Okay, what's the greatest commandment there is? And here's what his response. He said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, be all in with God. Be all in with God. And by the way, don't you agree that any discussion of marriage ought to include love? Right? So, so what God's word says is, under this big umbrella, is that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind. And another, another parable says, uh, another translation says strength. Puts it in there, okay? So, so when we talk about the topic of marriage, we need to understand it begins with loving God. Not, not just casually loving God. It begins with loving God deeply. All, all that we are, we're all in. Our heart uh, soul, mind, and again, another gospel says strength. So that's important. In fact, Jesus says this is the greatest and most important command. So above, now watch, watch. Above anything else in your life, personal desires, wants, dreams, visions, whatever it might be, we are to love, we're Christ followers, we're to love God above everything else. 
But then he throws us this. He says, the second is like it. Now, this is the most important, but right there with it is the second command. And guess what it says? You should love your neighbor as yourself. So, so if marriage involves love, we're to love God with everything and love our neighbor as ourself. Now, easily, easily you can see that that has to include the person you're married to. It includes the person you're going to be married to, were married to, going to be married to, the person you are married to. It includes that. It has to. It has to. And Jesus says, man, this is huge. Above everything else, love the Lord your God with all your soul. And the second part is like it. In fact, look what he says in verse 40. All the law and the prophets. Somebody say all. Yeah, yeah. All the law and the prophets are going to depend on these two commands. So that's why it's not out of context to bring this into a sermon on marriage. So when we discuss marriage, biblical marriage, we got to keep it under the umbrella that we are commanded to love God and love our neighbor. And I'm going to narrow this down very specifically. Your closest neighbor is the person you're married to and crawl in bed every night with. And I'm certainly that neighbor off the count. Notice how I put that caveat on there very specifically. You shouldn't be crawling into your neighbor's bed if you're not married to that person. Okay? Just want to make sure you understood the clarity of that. Now, the second umbrella is like it to it. It also has a great implication, and you would not necessarily think that it applies to marriage, but oh my goodness, it does. It does. See, because we're Baptists, I think, or because we're naive, um, we don't fully understand all that's going on. There's always more going on than we think. Now, particularly, that is true spiritually. Particularly, that is true spiritually. There is more going on, okay, in your world than you know spiritually. You know, the idea of angels and demons is a reality. They are realities. They are realities. God's reality, Satan's reality, angels fallen and angels unfallen are all realities in our world. And I want to share with you from John chapter 10, 10. And again, I think it's a great verse to bring into our conversation, our discussion today with marriage. Now, I, let me just tell you this. Satan wants to destroy your marriage more than anything. In fact, let's just bring it down bigger than that. He wants to destroy your family. He wants your kids and he wants your marriage. He wants your spouse more than you can even imagine. And let me just say this. Because more is going on in our lives than we really understand that there is, beware of changes in your life. Um, if all of a sudden you have cravings you didn't have before, it might be an indicator of an attack from Satan. If all of a sudden you're craving things outside the bounds of God's word, it might well be an indication of satanic attack. Let's just be honest. When a woman is pregnant, she starts craving weird things in the middle of the night. It's because something is changing in her body. Well, I want you to understand, spiritually speaking, often when these crazy cravings come for things that are outside the Word of God, uh, you're not happy in a marriage, you're craving someone else, you're craving pornography or some other thing like that, that's a sign of satanic attack. Be careful also of new disdains. Disdains. In other words, when things you used to love you now hate, be careful. It could be in your spouse. It could be your spouse does something that you used to love and now you hate. 
The things you used to love about that person, you now hate about that person. Um, things that you used to love with God, you now hate. All of a sudden, you know, you used to love going to church, now you don't want to go to church. You used to love reading the Bible, now you hate reading the Bible. You used to love to pray, now you don't want to pray. Be careful of new craving and disdains in your life because it might be a sign of satanic attack uh, underway in your life. There's more going on than you realize that there is. Be aware of that. Now, the second verse I promised you is John 10, 10. And Jesus says these words. Again, the big context, okay, is Satan and Jesus. But I think it really can come home to marriage. He says a thief comes or the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, trust me again as your pastor today Satan wants to still kill and destroy your marriage and your family. That's what he is about. That's his business. Um, he will come in and try to attack what is there. Um, I tried to put marriage terms on this. Um, he, he, the implication of stealing might be all of a sudden your focus is more on you than on your marriage. Your focus is more on you than your family. Okay, That's how he begins the stealing process. Me, me, I want, I deserve, I want, I deserve. Then he comes in and desires to kill. And if that process is left to its own, it can lead to the dissolution of the marriage. The word dissolution is an interesting word. I chose it over divorce because it means to break apart or close down a business partnership or union. And that's exactly what divorce is. And if, we're, if we allow those, those desires, the cravings and disdains to go unchecked, the marriage comes more and more about me. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I want more. This is not what I signed up for. Then that leads to a dissolution of the marriage, a shutting down, tearing down of the partnership. And then he loves to see it destroyed. And I don't know the full implication of that, particularly when we're taking a scripture like this and applying it to marriage. But I do know this. Generally speaking, death and remarriage destroys it forever. It's hard, to, it's hard to restore a marriage when you're in another marriage with someone else. And when the spouse eventually dies, that obviously closes that door also. So just keep in mind that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you more than you know. He wants to damage, he wants to hurt you more than you ever will know. But contrast that with, and this is the umbrella part, I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundant. Under the umbrella, uh, y'all believe God's word? Okay, all right. Well, God's word says, Jesus says, you know, the thief wants to come steal, kill, and destroy, but I want you to know something. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's really huge. That's big. In other words, within the umbrella of a relationship with Jesus Christ and under the umbrella of obedience to his word, Jesus says, I want to give you this abundant life. Now, we've got to trust him with that. Because so often, and again, especially when we're in a difficult situation, whether it's health or marriage or family, whatever it might be, career, whatever it might be, it's awful hard to believe under this umbrella of Jesus saying, I want to give you the abundant life. It's hard to believe that because it just doesn't feel very abundant. And what he's asking us to do is to trust him in spite of our circumstances. Now... So what we need to do next is we need to come to terms. We need to come to terms. And, and this deals with a biblical definition of marriage. And on your sermon sheet, you'll see two words there that are important. One of them is the word covenant, and one is the word contract. And they are vastly different. You see, the worldview of marriage is just different. 
It's just different. L- let me help you understand that. Um, okay, Nancy, first picture up there, buddy. Okay. So this is, and the reason why I put it on the screen is because I knew you couldn't see this. This is a plastic cup, okay, and it's made to be disposable, okay? Now, being plastic, though, if you're frugal, you could get probably 5, 10, 15 uses maybe out of the plastic cup before it melts or breaks or craps or some craps. Cracks or something. <laughs> Write that one down. That was a good one. That one, the Hicks. Don't you put it on Facebook. All right. So anyway, so so we have a plastic cup like this. It's disposable, and this is the modern view of marriage. We enter marriage. We're in love. Love is a mean, splendid thing. We get married, but we enter it. The modern view of marriage is we enter marriage saying this. You know what? If it doesn't work. We pay a lawyer a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars, and we dissolve the marriage. We dissolve the union. Easy come, easy go. It's disposable. This is the modern view of marriage. We have seen this vision come about, this, this product come about very, very recently, big time in American culture. Then we have this. This glass is, it's a, y'all have to it's a good-looking glass. It really is. Um, probably cost about $3, I would guess. Okay? Now, now this glass is part of a set that we use at the Taylor household every day. Keyword is set. There are a certain number of these. If uh, we have family over and there's seven or eight of those, depending on how many we've broken, um, you know, let's say there's eight of them. Then we have eight glasses, and the set is complete. It's functional. It's good. It's valuable in the sense that it's part of a set, okay? I would regret if one of these got broke. And the reason I would regret if one of these got broke is the set would no longer be complete. So this, the breakage of this glass, the purple glass, buy another one, no deal. This one would have some regret attached because it's part of the set. The set would no longer be complete. When I ate people, I'd have to put an odd glass out. So that's, that's, that's regret there. This is the traditional view of marriage. This is a marriage, this is a, a part of marriage that we've held on for years and years and years. And it's traditional in the sense that, you know what? We do make a commitment for life, okay? And if it doesn't work out, it's not like we just toss it out, like the, paper, the plastic cup. It's kind of with regret, you know. We wanted it to work, and we weep a little bit, and we wanted it to work, and it didn't work. And so the traditional view is like this. There's regret involved if the marriage doesn't make it, but can we be honest? It's really not the end of the world. Then we end up with this one. This glass is special. Um, if this glass got broke, I would be brokenhearted. You say, well, why, Dwayne? Well, this, this is a one of kind. This is a one of a kind. Not saying you can't go to a store somewhere and find a type of glass like this, but this glass belonged to my grandmother. I inherited it from her when she died many years ago. This glass is probably 80, 90 years old, I would imagine. And uh, she had it in her cabinet, and I ended up with two or three of her pieces uh, when she died. And I've kept it all these years. And it's very valuable to me. And if this glass broke... I would be broken hearted. In fact, I can't imagine. And when I was carrying this in, I was careful how it was laying in the basket. Uh, the reason I didn't leave it on the stool was that basket was moving like this. And I said, what if I kick that thing over? 
The reason I moved it there, I figured I wouldn't kick the pulpit over. Okay? So this is valuable to me. And this is not, not the modern view of marriage. This is not the traditional view of marriage. This is the biblical view of marriage. This glass is valuable. I will do everything I can to protect it. I am committed to ownership of this glass, and I'm going to protect it all I can. And that's how God's Word tells us we should view marriage. It should not be a casual thing where we just simply go, you know, well, we're going to throw all three up there, please, Nancy. You know, it's not the purple glass, disposable. Oh, well, if it doesn't work, we'll find another. It's not the, the gold glass with just some regret if it doesn't work out. It's that blue glass, that one I'm committed to owning and protecting with all your might. And that's how God wants you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, to view marriage. It's just hugely important. So, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, Paul gives us a little verse that really is quite powerful. He says this, As the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. So the biblical view of marriage here is, is a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving into his wife, and they become one. They become one. And that's where the idea of covenant comes into the relationship. Bruce Wilkerson, in, in Britain, I used to use his counseling all the time, and frankly, it just got out of date. He didn't redo it, and it was back in the 80s, and so it was so far out of date. But he used to talk about leaving and cleaving. And when, when you become married, and again, I don't have a lot of time to spend here, but when you, when you are married, uh, you need to leave behind some things. Now, when I speak about leaving behind your parents, I'm not talking about you don't speak to them, you don't have a relationship with them. However, your priorities change. And when you, when you leave, when you're married, you leave those priorities behind. Your mom and your dad, no longer your number one priority. Your spouse is. Your spouse is. And did, by the way, did you know, even when you have children, your number one priority is not your children. Your number one priority is your spouse. Your spouse. So, so, so we are to, to come in this relationship. We are to leave and we are to cleave. And the word implies one flesh. One flesh. Becoming one. Becoming one. So what is the difference between covenant and contract? Well, I think it's demonstrated really good with what I call marriage math number one. Marriage math number one. One plus one equals four. One plus one equals four. Dwayne, what does that mean? The biblical definition of marriage involves one man, one woman... Forever. One man, one, one woman, forever. And all three of those elements define biblical marriage. Now we have seen we have seen society redefine marriage and undermine marriage throughout these coming years. But if you're going to have a biblical marriage, it's one man, one woman, forever. Amen? Amen? Hugely important. Hugely important. Now, I asked David and Brent to give me just a little bit of information about contract and covenant. Here's what I said. I said, if you're going to teach this Sunday morning, what is something that you would give to help the people understand about contract and about covenant? And David said something like this. He said, a contract is based on what I get out of it. Covenant is based on the promises and commitment I put into it. Let me read that to you again. Contract is based on what I get out of it. 
Covenant is based on the promises and commitment I put into it. And I thought that was really good. I thought that was really good. In fact, you know, a contract is something negotiated between two parties for their best interest. When, when you have a union and, and a, a management negotiating, the union is negotiating from that perspective, I want what's best for the employees, and the, the management is negotiating for the best what's good for management. So you can imagine the turmoil if you have a marriage under those contract basis. We have joined our lives together on the, on the basis that I want what's best for me, and the other person saying I want what's best for me. That's a recipe for disaster. A recipe for disaster. All right? Now, Brent said contracts have escape clauses and covenants do not. Contracts have escape clauses and covenants do not. And again, I just really thought that was incredibly good. It really is. You know, there, if you read through contracts, there, there, are, there are clauses in there that say, if this happens, then this happens. You know, you can get out of this contract. How many of y'all have ever dealt with Verizon, Dish Network, DirecTV, and you're under this contract, and you're trying to get out of the contract, and you look for an escape clause? And generally speaking, there's some kind of escape clause, usually in some contracts. Okay? Now, again, so many people view marriage that way. They sit there and say, oh, well, you know, if things does not, do not work out right, then here's an escape clause. Well, covenant does not have an escape clause. Covenant, covenant says, I am in for the duration. Now, let me, I, I really, uh, I like this. Let me tell you the gory story of God and Abraham. The gory story of God and Abraham. Back in those days, they had covenants, and they happened in a very uh, unusual way. So in Genesis chapter 15, again, I won't read scripture to you, but in Genesis chapter 15, um, God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, i got big plans for you. Your descendants are going to be like the stars of the of this, of this sky and sand on the sea. It's going to be an incredible thing. And Abraham you know, basically goes, Wait a minute, God, I don't have any kids. You know, Right now, the best I've got is some hand guy, you know, a, a guy who runs my household. He's the best thing I've got for, for, a, uh, for a descendant. And God says, No, no, no. There will be a descendant out of your loins. You're going to have a son that's going to come along. And Abraham kind of goes, well, well, how can you prove that to me? How can you prove that to me? So here's what happens. God says, I want you to go get a cow, a goat, and a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. A cow, goat, ram, turtle dove, and pigeon. And he, I want you to take these animals and cut them in two. The gory story of God and Abraham. Now, this is called cutting a covenant. Cutting a covenant. It's a way that they prove the seriousness of an agreement. So Abraham takes the cow, cuts it long ways along the spine, and lays the two halves facing each other. Then he takes the goat, splits it along the spine, and puts the halves facing in this great. Don't you glad you came to church today? Okay, all right. Then there's a ram, okay, and they took that ram, cut it along the spine, and laid the halves facing each other. Now, I'm not sure the implication of it, but he did not split the turtle dove or the pigeon, okay? We're not asked to and did not do that. Oh, wait. All right, so you imagine all this blood laying around. Well, guess what shows up? Vultures show up, and Abraham's busy shooing all the, animal, all the vultures away and all that going on. Flies are buzzing everywhere. It's a gory mess. Well, as the sun goes down, Abraham falls into a deep sleep, okay? And in the midst of this deep sleep, he sees this. 
He sees a smoking pot, and again, you could figure out all the implications of this, but he sees a smoking pot, and he sees a flaming torch. And now normally, normally, if it's with two men, then the two men would walk in between the two pieces of the animal, and that would seal the deal. In this case, though, we see the pot and the flaming torch going by themselves through these animals. In other words, Abraham was not part of sealing the deal. The gory story of Abraham and God. And these were affirmation that God was going to do what he said was going to do. Now, obviously, you're probably going, you know, that's a really interesting Bible story, Dwayne. Um, well, how does it apply to me? Well, it's found in what all that meant. Number one is this, if you're taking notes. One, it meant just like these two, these animals cannot be put back together as one, so this covenant must never be broken. Just like the animals cannot be put back together, it's impossible to happen, so may it be impossible for this covenant to be broken. The second one is this. The person making the covenant agreed to this. They said, they said that if I do break the covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. May what has happened to this animal happen to me. And the third thing is this. Just like, now in, God, in the story, Abraham did not pass through the animals. Only God did. And it was God's way of saying, Abraham, Abram, Abram, this covenant is made. And I pass through by myself. Because even if you don't keep your end of the deal, I'm going to keep mine. Now that's powerful. That's powerful. Imagine the ramifications of these three lessons in a covenant marriage. One, just like the two animals cannot be put back together, the, the covenant cannot be broken. What if we entered marriage in a way that says it cannot be broken? It cannot be broken. What, what if we actually had the courage to say, God, this is so serious to me. What happened to the animals, let it happen to me. We understood the seriousness, the ramifications of breaking the covenant. And what if we entered marriage covenant the way God did that covenant? What if you could look your bride or groom in the eye? You're going to do it in just a while. And say, I want you to know something. No matter if you're faithful or not, this covenant's for me. No matter if you're, if you're not the man or woman that I thought you were going to be, no matter if you get ugly, you're the one for me. No matter if you're unfaithful, I'm going to remain faithful. You are the one for me. How powerful is that. Now, you remember, can I flashback? Flashback. You remember when I said at the beginning that this wasn't going to make sense to you? That doesn't make sense to you, does it? It doesn't make sense. You're saying, who in the world would do this? God did. And God expects us to. That's the seriousness of marriage. Which leads us to marriage math number two. One plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. And that is this. One man, one woman, one flesh. That's the power. I, I don't think we understand fully, I don't think we understand fully how serious this is. You know, when the Bible says we were one flesh, now do you remember the illustration of the covenant, how Abram had to cut the cow or, or, or cut the ram in half? You remember that? Okay. Imagine how graphic that was. 
Can you imagine in God's view, from God's perspective and view, that if in fact marriage becomes one flesh, what is the only way for one flesh to become back to two? A tearing, a ripping, or a cutting? That's how serious marriage is. Biblical marriage is. We need to approach, listen, if you're single today, um, you need to approach, understand your marriage is that serious. I mean, it's important that you decide what school you're going to. You're important. It's important you understand what occupation. And by the way, I heard so many of you saying you're going to be doctors and nurses. Please remember your old pastor when you come into practice. I appreciate pastoral discounts. Okay? Just a joke, gosh. Anyway, <laughs> you say, yeah, we know how you get taken out for lunch. We know that story. So, so the only way to separate that would be to tear or to cut apart. That's how serious God sees marriage. So that's the biblical perspective of how we're to see how God views marriage. Now, we're really out of time. But let me, I don't want to quit quite yet. Um, yeah, yeah, I've got to get this in, okay? And I call this shooting the elephant. Shooting the elephant. Because I know, listen, I know there, there are a lot of folks in this room who have gone through the, the pain of, of, a, of a dissolution of a marriage, a divorce, uh, how difficult that is. Um, there are some of you who are single and love to be married, and that's not happened either. And so I know this is difficult. But I really want you to see again this beautiful picture of God has for marriage and how serious he takes it. It's found back in the book of Malachi chapter 2. And it says this, and this is verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Now, did you see that? Who made you one with your wife? Uh, the Lord did. The Lord. This is all, listen, that's why, that's why society cannot redefine marriage. They don't have the right. It's God's. It's God's deal. It's his thing, man. Okay, so didn't the Lord make you one? Oh, 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 I need to throw this out real quick, too. I understand, you understand back when Malachi wrote this, children and women have no rights. So your husband got up one morning, the eggs were burned again. He says, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and babe, you're done. You're moved out of the house, there's no social system. If your parents are alive, you may be able to go back with them. Other than that, you are done, Okay. So that was the system. And that's why you'll see Malachi's harsh words to the husband. But in today's culture, it's different. I'm glad to report men and, men, excuse me, women and children have always done well in the Bible. When biblical rules are implemented, they've always done well. But the truth is, you could really write this either way. But here we go. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife, your spouse? In body and spirit, you are his. God says, you, listen, you are bought with a price. You are not your own if you're a Christ follower. And then he goes on and says, and what does he want? Godly children from your union. I don't know what all that means in the implication of marriage, but I think it means godly homes. I know there's some homes here where God has not gifted you with children. And it's so difficult. But God wants each home of believers to be a godly home. So guard your heart. Guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. That's how strongly he feels about it. And then he says something in 2.16 that's just strong. It's just strong. This is New Living. I think New King James says the same way. God says, I hate divorce, says the Lord. I hate divorce. Now, he didn't say he hated people who are divorced. He said he hated divorce. Why? The pain. The pain. Very, 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 very 
Very few divorces are painless. Most of them involve broken hearts, shed tears, broken homes. It's a very difficult thing. And because God loves us, you know, the reason, one of the reasons God hates sin is because of the pain. And this particular sin he hates because of the pain that it causes. Oh, God loves you. God loves you. He does not want you to go through this path because he knows the pain that is there. So he says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife, your spouse, is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife, to your spouse, if we want to bring it, if we can bring it like that. You know, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart because out of it come the issues of life. This is so important. This is so important. Whatever your priority list is in life, this should be up at the top. The top. Guarding your heart and guarding your marriage. All right. I don't have time to do the scriptures, but I'll give you three things. And if you'd like to read those later on on your sermon sheet if they're in there. I can't remember if they are or not. Number one is this. So what if I've messed up, Dwayne? It's, listen, it's the same. It doesn't matter if it's divorce or whatever it is. Listen to this. The Bible says this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If someone has told you that you're somehow a second-class citizen because you've gone through the pain of a divorce, they are wrong. They are wrong. They have no right to say that. If someone seems to want to judge you, they are wrong. If someone wants to cast a rock at you, they are wrong. I still believe Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So you've messed up. Own your part of it. Own your part of it. Could you have prayed more? Could you have extended more grace? I don't know. But chances are all of us, all who have experienced a divorce, there's a, a small piece or a large piece of the pie that belongs to you. Simply confess that to God. He promises to forgive you and accept that grace. And accept that grace. Uh, Dwayne, um, I'm about to mess up. I am on the earth. He has, she has for way too long. I'm unhappy. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taking you, but such as common to man. But that God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out. That you can, and notice the word, endure. Endure. You know, there is an escape clause, Brent. But it's not for marriage, it's for temptation. He promises a way out of the temptation. So if you're, if you're being tempted right now, cry out to God and say, God, I am about to throw in the towel. Help me. And you'll find an amazing God who wants to help you. And lastly is this. I know someone who's messed up. Yeah, look in the mirror. Hello. It's you. All of us are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Which leads me to say, we have no right to judge. We have no right to cast rocks. Uh, may I read to you what the Lord Jesus said? He said, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Who are we to judge? 
We're not. Judgment belongs to God. What belongs to us, Dwayne? Restoration. Healing. Healing. Again, if you get time later on, read Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. If you're a Christ follower, read that. Because it talks about if you see someone overtaking a fault, seek to restore that person. There's no room for rock chucking in the family of God. There's no room for judging like that in the body of Christ. No wonder people want to bail out from church. No wonder people are afraid to be transparent. Because they're afraid they'll get stoned. So don't judge. Don't judge. Restore. Restore. Pray. Pray. Restore. Restore. Let me close with a, a verse from Jesus. He says in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Including these that we talked about today. Good news. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. What we talked about today is almost impossible. But with Christ it's not. I do think the Bible says with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. Let me close with one thought. One of my favorite commercials, and, you know, we watched the kids grow up, Brent, Tracy. You know, they stood up here today, and I found a picture, by the way. I'm eating lunch here, so I'm not worried about Kentucky Fried or Barbecue Barn or any place else. So I found this picture uh, in my drawer, and it's Faith and McKenzie when they were probably three years old. And they're out at Valentine's Farm, and it's apple season. And they're leaning on a big crate of apples, okay? And... And here is, here is Faith. I mean, genuine smile. Here's Mackenzie. I said, boy, if that's not their personalities, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. But you know what? They've grown up. They've grown up. Well, I like this commercial because it's a local car dealership, actually. I think it's in Heron, a Chevrolet dealership. And it used to be the daddy, the tagline would be, you know, come see us. We'll send you home happy. Sound familiar? Well, slowly, the daughter grew up. And I remember when she was just this tall, and she'd go, and we would send you home happy. And now that, that young girl is a young woman, and she's still saying, come see us, and we'll send you home happy. Well, listen, God doesn't want to send you home happy. He wants to send you home holy. You've got to understand that. Oh, God's, God's joy is a wonderful thing, and he wants us to have joy. But frankly, sometimes it's hard to be happy in this old world. It really is. But there is, there is coming a day when all this is going to be passed. And we're going to have the opportunity to stand before the very man who was nailed to that cross for our sins. And to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant will be a wonderful thing. It's true in our vocation. It's true in our walk. And it's true in our marriage. So if you're here today and you're single, you got marriage coming up, perhaps. Perhaps you're a widower and, and that, oh, your heart hurts today. But remember, you can be a mentor. If you've gone through marriage and you're single right now, and uh, you'll have the opportunity to share maybe and help someone. If you're single, apply some of these truths today as you look forward to this thing called marriage. Remember that.
remember that. If you're married today, if you're married, start living today this way. If you're, if you're on the edge, you're on that, that edge of, of fixing to take the plunge and say, I just can't do it anymore. I'm going to ask you to increase your faith and trust God. If, if you've gone through the horrors of divorce, receive God's grace today. And just pray for the rock chuckers. Just pray for the rock chuckers. You know, just, just don't let them get to you. Accept and receive God's grace. But, but take seriously what God's word says. Any relationship you're in in the future, understand the biblical principles of marriage. Start where you are. Ask God's forgiveness and start where you are. Let's pray together. Well, thank you so much for letting me share today. More than you know, I hope this helped us today. Because you know why? I believe there is a devil. And I believe he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. And myself. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Last fall, we had a big name Southern Baptist preacher preach here. I can tell you his name because it's public. Frank Page. Remember him? It was the day of the annual meeting. We were honored to have him. Recently, he had to resign because of an immoral relationship. Now, I'm going to tell you why I told you that. It can happen to anybody. Dwayne, what do you take home from that? God help me. God help me. God help me. If you're here today, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God help us. God help us. So if you're, if you're young in your marriage, if you're medium or older, don't ever, don't ever think the game's over, that you've got it in the bag. You keep the defense up. Guard your marriage. Guard your family. Guard your children. We are products of God's grace. And for that, we are thankful. Okay, Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing today. I appreciate today, for whatever reason, Dave chose those wonderful songs on grace. Because we don't need your grace just on the day of salvation. We need it every day. Thank you for that. Father, I pray that we will receive your word. And not only just receive it, we will choose to apply your word. When it's easy and when it's hard, we'll apply your word. May we guard our hearts. Above all else, the word says, guard our hearts because out of it come the issues of life. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, thank you for your patience.